And later, the second picks up the slack. And later, the second picks up the slack in the character. Paces from the Mundangerous Studios in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 178 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about single combat. But first the rogue traders establish a foothold in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later the second picks up the slack in the Character Creation Forge. So Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Good job. All the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. Speaking of which, they've got a pretty cool deck box that is not yet available. Yeah, they told us to pick a product that we liked and talk about it, so we're talking about a product you can't buy, but it is really rad. (laughs) So the Centurion uh, deck box was kickstarted this year. It uh, it raised twenty eight thousand dollars to make this thing. It is designed obviously for like Magic and other games that just use a deck of cards. But they have like customizable inserts that let you store minis, counters, dice, uh, spell cards, stuff like that. This thing is rad. This is this is exactly what I want to be bringing to game night because it takes zero room in comparison to all of my space that I need for my stupid stuff. If they can raise twenty eight thousand dollars on a Kickstarter, why do they need to advertise with us? Yeah, <laughs> they're uh, they're doing us a favor. They're a sponsor, oh. not an advertiser. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's that's very nice. It's good to have friends, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's super customizable. Like, okay, it's the top sort of pops open, um, and you know you've got cards in there, uh, and then you flip it around. There's space for dice. There's space for dice and uh, other stuff. The full size thing has a little tray at the bottom. You can put your dice in. Um, it's also got like a little dry erase board on it that you can like keep track of your hit points or something. Oh, you can stick a mini in there. You can also stick a mini inside. Two minis, actually. There's room for that. Uh, which is just great because transporting minis to our games has become its own little cottage industry at our table. Oh God! Right. Uh, so who has uh who has the druid? Which druid? Well, the one with the staff. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, dig through the box, please. I think someone left that in New Jersey. Elderwood products make great holiday gifts, and you can find them at elderwoodacademy.com/slash/don't-split. So speaking of New Jersey, we actually just got back from that place because it was the location of Thrillicon 3. Is that what we're calling it? Is that the nomenclature now? Thrillicon 3D or Thrillicon New Jersey Drift, one or the other. Perfect. Uh, For those of you who don't know, we try twice a year or so to get the whole gaming group together, to get out of town, rent a house somewhere, uh, and just game for two or three days, which is great. Um, usually devolves into like too much liquor uh, or people grumpy about not enough liquor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, we try to knock out three to four different games and they just go far longer because everyone's just a little bit loopy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. What did we play this time? So before you got there, or actually, I guess as you arrived, uh, for the first time in our group, we got Kill Team to the table, which is the 
like squad based um like Warhammer 40k game. Um, yeah, there's always so much painting going on at Thrillicon these days. Yeah, we do a lot of painting at Thrillicon because we're all in the same place. Everybody who paints is in the same place and we actually have time to do it. So we that has become its own secondary event of Thrillicon. Um but yeah, so Brian had brought all of his painted terrain which you saw and it's freaking rad. Yeah, it's really impressive. I mean, especially he's he's done really nicely with the washes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care about Kill Team at all, but I want you guys to just bring that stuff so we can use it as terrain for no, D&T. No, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to be playing Rogue Trader on that from now on. <laughs> like, it's it looks too good. So we played Kill Team. We played Mission Accomplished, which is a game that just got kickstarted, uh, written by Jeff Stormer. Um, then we played a full day of Dark Sun, and then we played Eberron after that. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is as good a place to announce as any, but we're returning to Eberron in the timeline of the Morning Glory campaign, uh, except that everybody is making different characters. Uh, and yeah, it's a different story that's happening simultaneously with Morning Glory. Uh, you'll hear more about that later because, you know, once we sort of wrap up this Rogue Trader arc in the recaps, we're going to start recapping this game. And then we also played the alpha or maybe beta, whatever, the playtest of Eclipse Phase 2nd Edition. Which is less complicated than 1st Edition, but that's not saying much because it is still pretty complicated. It still requires a spreadsheet. I can't wait till till I either make one or there is one available. Right, yeah. I'll, again, I'll wait. <laughs> Complementary skills, baby. I just put one in everything, right? And that mm-hmm. gives everyone else a plus 10? Yep. <laughs> and there's no skill restrictions. So the only game in there that I think people may not have heard of is probably Mission Accomplished. And it was my first experience with the game. Uh, but I think Angelo and Susie are already, like, what, asking you for rules so they can, like, play with their family over the holiday? Yep, I sent the playtest rules to them so they could play with their family. <laughs> because <laughs> I can't think of a better endorsement of a game, to be honest. I mean, what what is it? Explain it to people who like don't know anything about it. Like me a week ago. Right. It's a super light story game in which uh, the players are all playing super spies in like uh, um, the Man from Uncle or Get Smart kind of uh, spy world. And the GM is playing Mission Control. And you have all returned from a successful mission. Um, but now it's time to do the paperwork and uh, and account for the commendations and citations based on your mission performance. Yeah, so it's basically um, a performance review. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where everyone is trying to pin the blame for bad things on everyone else and trying to take the credit for good things that happened. And right. you're all sort of making most of it up on the fly. Exactly. So the, the structure of the game is you all, like, you know, uh, create some light details about your character. Then you submit uh, two anonymous reports of things that occurred on the mission. Uh, Mission Control organizes those and then just does a review of what occurred on the mission while you all point the finger and explain what you did and lie through your teeth and Mission Control either rewards you or punishes you based on um, how you perform, not just in the mission, but more importantly, in the meeting. All right, I won't spoil it, but uh, winning does not necessarily mean winning. Let's just go with that, I guess. And and losing does not necessarily mean losing. (laughs) All right. Speaking of uh, mostly losing, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. 
and on the Deathworld Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. So after meeting your business partner's advance party on the ground, uh, Flair had an awkward reunion with his former attendant, Felipe, who is now working for your partner, uh, Lord Captain Roth. Yes, he had left him for dead, and now he is so jealous of his success. It's tragic. So after establishing a relatively secure headquarters in Meridian, uh, we decided to do some scouting to fill in the gaps in the dossier, uh, which had massive giant gaps in it. Like, for example, that this was a death world. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we try to get the lay of the land in the city itself because it's sort of a microcosm of the planet uh, and the um, the movers and shakers uh, on Iblis Prime. Yep. So you already had some information about the peacekeepers uh, because Felipe has gone through the trouble of registering Roth Enterprises as a commercial concern. Uh, so you are legally permitted to operate within Meridian and, and on the planet. So he's able to provide a little bit of background on the politics at play. So he tells you, you know, the peacekeepers, they're like a quasi-government co-op, and they are led by five major companies. Uh, They're either companies or guilds or, like, corporations, and they all have, like, those meaningless, vague titles that, um, you know, modern corporations have, like the Collective or the Void Coalition or Alphabet. The Umbrella Collective Coalition. Blackwater. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if that's the co-op. No, it's Academy now with an I. Altria. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does that even do? Cigarettes? What? You know, they just bought Jewel. <laughs> oh, did they? Great, yes. great. Of course, of course, the tobacco industry is killing it now with teen smoking. Hey. Okay, so next we send in some uh, arms men and women to sit in on various religious groups that comprise an organization called the Devoted. Uh, some of these cults are pretty radical, uh, and, you know, maybe we'll get around to purging them at some point. Uh, maybe we'll get around to sort of pulling them into the Imperial Creed, but, like, that's not our first priority. Um, Echo believes, based on her research, that the Imperial Creed was the first major religion here. But over hundreds of years of not being part of the Imperium, these sort of cults have evolved. Yeah, and I think the important thing for you guys to take away was that there doesn't seem to be any open worship of chaos or any like impending threat of chaos becoming a, a major issue here. Hey, uh, that's nice for once. Right, yeah. Like, not being Imperial is not the same as worshiping Slanesh. Yet. <laughs> well, right. So then, uh, rather selfishly, Flair directs a group of armsmen to uh, research the views on witchcraft in Meridian. And he's relieved to find that the city is rather radical and that they don't have any great fear or superstition about psychers. Yeah, which basically means that if he wants to use his psychic powers while we're walking around the city, he mostly can. I mean, I guess he shouldn't blow up city blocks. Right. Well, I mean, if he does bad stuff with his psychic abilities, they're going to punish him the way they would punish anybody who does bad stuff. But at least they're not going to immediately behead him for being a witch. Right. Although 50 years from now, we'll know why they have terrible superstitions about psychers. Right. Yeah. That will prove to be their undoing. Almost certainly. (laughs) All right. And then uh, Flair and Trank join together to chase down the lead Felipe gave us on a mining opportunity. So we look around for reputable partners, and we set a meeting with an outfitter by the name of the Leaflighters Scouting and Prospecting Company. 
leaf lighters, huh? Leaf lighters. Yeah. So arsonists. We'll see. <laughs> you know, they sound like just our kind of people. <laughs> and we'll find out what happens next, next week. All right. So this week we're talking about dueling. It is an extremely common trope in all different kinds of genres. No matter what kind of game you're playing, uh, Renaissance game, Three Musketeers, oh yeah, there's going to be a duel. Mm-hmm. If you're playing a Western, you're going to start with your backs to each other, walk 10 paces, turn and shoot. Oh yeah, pirates Pirates duel all the freaking time. Maybe not necessarily uh, with like strict regulations, but you know, one-on-one. You got you to gotta slight, you got to handle it. You took my eye, I'm going to take your hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens in Harry Potter, actually. They do wizard's duels. Um, it's all over the place. So there are plenty of opportunities for you to slip these into your game. It's a really nice change of pace. You can spend like an entire session doing a duel. Right. But there's a problem with doing an entire session on a duel, isn't there? Yeah. Like at its core, ultimately, it's two people who are facing off and fighting and everyone else is sort of like sitting around and watching. Yay. So it can be difficult to make a duel interesting for everyone at the entire table. So we're going to talk about today like how to run it so that there's first tension in the outcome and making sure that everyone actually has fun. Yeah, and then as a player, we'll talk about how you can prepare for a duel and make sure that you get out alive. You cheat. You cheat, of course. Always cheat. Why would you not cheat? If you're not cheating, you're not trying. All right, first off, you've got to set up this duel. Um, This can be really, really easy. If you're a player, you can just provoke an NPC, especially if you're in a society that has a dueling custom. You know, if you show up and everyone's wearing rapiers, rapiers and tabards, like probably, uh, you know, step one, buy white gloves. Step two, remove white gloves. Step three, use white gloves. Step four, duel. Well, you forgot the step where you've got to uh, choose from the ceremonial pistols. Uh, you know, you know, um, I've decided we're not going to use pistols. Uh, this is fisticuffs. Oh, well, that's always the trick, right? Is always choose the weapon that they're least capable in, even if you're not good at it yourself. <laughs> I choose insults. Uh, I'm right. a bard, so I'll just use vicious mockery. <laughs> you're just using intimidate. That doesn't hurt much. You know, there's also the option to, you know, toss the gauntlet on the ground. Um, GMs, you can use this pretty easily. It's quite possible that your players don't know that there is a dueling custom here. <laughs> Maybe there wasn't until this morning. <laughs> right. And you're just inventing it. You know what? I mean, we have it's a like long dinner, history of this. It's like that dinner party in Firefly, right? Like, clearly the GM decided after uh, Mal Reynolds was mouthing off to a noble that they duel here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's a really good way to sort of like. Not punish, right? But like have a fun kind of punishment for uh, a PC who like just can't handle decorum. Right. Yeah, it's like uh, it's it's adding risk, but also giving them the reward of the attention. Right. Hey, you get to duel. Great. It's also a nice change of pace from sort of the other option of reigning in your PCs, which is basically throwing them into jail. Right. Like, okay, you've insulted the like the governor's mistress. Um. I I guess we could throw you into jail for slander, and then we'll do a whole breakout scene. But in this instance, actually, we can just do a one-on-one duel, and that'll be a lot of fun. You can also uh, use this anywhere that the PCs are fish out of water. Uh, if it's a strange land, they may have strange customs, and it might require many different kinds of single combat. Like, we're not necessarily talking about uh, just uh, times when someone has been insulted and, like, honor must be satisfied. Like, 
you know, there's that scene at the beginning of Troy, or it happens actually a lot in the Bible, where you have two armies that are meeting, and rather than running at each other and everybody dying, they just send out two champions who, like, decide who's going to win this war. Right. Yeah, and that's also another, you can use this as a way to just satisfy mass combat, Mm -hmm. is that the armies do run straight at each other and clash, but naturally the champions seek each other out, right? And then they have their duel to determine the fate of the army, sort of in the midst of the of the clashing steel. Yes, as the arrows fly and blood flows, uh, a small clearing forms within the troops and the, their eyes meet. <laughs> it's so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> the Black Knight removes his helmet. He has piercing green eyes. <laughs> I mean, it's a very Game of Thrones thing, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's how Game of Thrones, or um, like Braveheart, that's how that turned out too, right? Didn't it though? Yeah. Oh, also it happened in, in Willow. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> which I know everyone on. is like, yeah, of course it did. <laughs> Man, Willow. Really? Every, every game should just be Willow. All right. So if you're running, uh, let's just start with the traditional duel and then we can talk about uh, variations. The first thing you need to think about uh, whether you're running it or if you're going to be in a duel is figuring out what the heck are the rules. Uh, and you can lean a lot on history with this. The Irish Code Duello was adopted in 1777, and it laid out extremely strict rules for combatants and their seconds. These are the people who like are helpers to the combatants, who either aid them, um, you know, help like patch up their injuries, or step in if someone's like being a big coward. Yep. So the key here is that there should be plenty of arcane, aristocratic rules that can be bent or made up to. Uh, trip up the pcs to to make the duel dramatic and challenging yeah this is fun on both sides like as a gm it gives you an opportunity to sort of throw curveballs like okay you understand the general tenets but no one's walking you through all 26 commandments of like how to fight a duel ahead of time right so you just bring up number 13 later uh or as a pc you can always be like well okay let me let me make a lore check or some yep. sort of history check or something. <laughs> Figure out, like, does it actually turn out that an older version of the Coda uh, has slightly different rules that we can use? Yeah, exactly, right? So you succeed on that check, and then as a GM, it's just, hey, cool. So what's a rule that you have recalled or figured out that they don't know about? And why don't they know about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, plenty of opportunities here uh, for you to sort of, like, roll with it to keep things more interesting. And, of course, these are opportunities for the PCs who are not actually fighting to do something. Mm-hmm. So it's important to know where the battle is going to happen. Like, okay, is this on the outskirts of town? Is it on like a high bluff? And then what is the initial setup, right? Like the traditional one is 10 paces turn and fire, but you also might just be, you might start on opposite sides of the street. Uh, you might also, you know, meet and fight with swords rather than pistols, especially depending on like the kind of setting that you're in i kind of like that firefly did this uh where you know it's a place with guns um some people even have like laser weapons but the duel is fought with actual swords and like no one knows how to use a sword unless you've actually actually had training unless you've trained for dueling right exactly (laughs) unless you've done this before right uh but it's it's important to know not just for the gm like how you're going to describe it and you know what is the setting going to be but as a player uh there are plenty of chances here for you to maybe show up ahead of time and like lay some groundwork. Right. Cheat. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Dig some tunnels or even, you know, plan your escape. Like if you're definitely going to lose, 
how, how are you going to get out of here? So then the next part of it is to make a choice of weapons. So the uh, co- Code Duello says that the choice goes to the challenged party, but that swords can be avoided if the challenger swears they aren't trained. Uh, yes, we honor demands swords, but I have no idea how to use one. Uh, so can we use literally anything else? Okay, I choose bats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, stick with a, with a nail in it. Well, I choose a bigger stick with a nail in it. Crowbars at dawn. <laughs> Garrots. So in a fantasy or a modern setting, there are obviously plenty of options. Um, you know, pretty much anything can be a weapon, and, and the variety of weapons that are available uh, in those settings is, is generally pretty wide. Yeah, I like the idea that you're like, okay, I get to choose the weapons. Great. I'm a barbarian and you're a rogue. I choose great axes. Right. Oh, you can't sneak attack with a great axe? Well, go screw. Yeah, you're, and also, you know, you're a halfling. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I choose great swords. Um, this happened in the Morning Glory campaign. Um, there was a trial by combat that uh, you guys were part of, and Bastion uh, ended up fighting the swordsmaster uh, of the Bastion, angels. Bastion, the Warforged monk. Yes. Um, fought a swordsmaster, and he got to choose the weapons. And Cameron actually did a really nice job with this because I was like, well, she's a, she's a swordsmaster, but like, she she understands how to use every single weapon, and you know she's very good at all of them. So it's your choice; you can use what you want. And he said, "Okay, I choose blowguns." Right. Because I don't think she can beat me to death with a blowgun. Right. <laughs> and I have fists, magic fists. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, touche! All right." And I was really glad that I had given her tavern brawler so she could punch. <laughs> <laughs> Although his fists were doing a lot more damage. So it was an excellent choice. Uh, So the next thing you'll have to decide on is what gear or armor is permitted. Um, Typically, like your civilized duels would be fought without armor. So typically, you couldn't wear plate mail or a flak jacket. Though, you know, in maybe a more frontier setting or certainly amongst like pirates or something like that, uh, armoring up seems to be like just part of the game. Yeah. Or like, let's say your duel is a joust. You know, or something like that. Then, yeah, you've got plate mail and a shield, and you've got your long sword. And after you get thrown from your horse, now we sort of hack at each other. Right. Um, I do kind of like the idea of like um, a full-on duel that is like in a more high-tech setting. You get your armor and like your your pulse rifle, and it's you're basically sort of thrown in and maybe more like a Hunger Games arena scenario where it's like, all right, you two go at each other. Um, using the heavy weapons. Also, here's a rocket propelled grenade. Yeah, and <laughs> cool. You have your armor. I have my drone strike. We'll see who wins. <laughs> uh, riggers. <laughs> uh, then you've got to think about what are the rules, or find out what the rules are about buffing. So, are you allowed to like drink potions ahead of time? Uh, can you cast spells on yourself? Um, are you allowed to like take a little time to start in rage or um, to like change into wild shape before like someone says, okay, go? Yeah, are you allowed to use protective spells? Can you um, use magic items or anything of that nature? Right, and this is, are they allowed? And are you allowed to use them ahead of time? Right. 
Um, it might be that like you can't even bring them in with you. Um, it might be that you can bring them in, but it's only like once the like kerchief has dropped that you can basically start like using them as quickly as you can. Right. Uh, and then outside aid, is that allowed? Like, can you have other people cast spells on you? Can the rest of the party buff you ahead of time? Uh, if buffing is allowed, or do you? Ha- it does it have to be something that like you are capable of doing yourself. And it, could the party like pool its gold and be like, all right, like we're just gonna go like ask a cleric to cast a bunch of spells in you because none of us can do that. Um, and then keep in mind, like any preparations you make, there's probably some type of honor bound security to make sure that they're all legal. So if it's a magic setting, you might have to spell magic cast ahead of time, or you might have to duel in an anti magic zone, something like that. Yeah, although that doesn't seem to be the case in something like Harry Potter. Like, I don't remember in those, like, practice duels anyone being like, okay, let me get rid of your initial spells. Well, yeah, but Harry Potter doesn't really have those kind of, like, lingering buff effects. Well, the high-level ones do, although I guess we we don't really see, like, a high-level straight-up duel. Um, so who really knows what's going on? But certainly there, it's within the realm of possibility that, like, no one's going to check on that stuff because right. you know, Harry Potter seems to be super lax with all, all those sorts of uh, practical considerations. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, I brought a basilisk. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. It's in the rules. I mean, the rule book doesn't say you can't bring a basilisk. There's 850 pages in that novel. You would think there'd be <laughs> enough room for those rules. <laughs> um, we're going to have the basilisk play basketball. I think that's fine. <laughs> basilisk ball. <laughs> It's almost like everyone else on the the court is frozen. Oh, they are. They are frozen. Oh, that's terrible. All right. So the next thing to think about is the rules for seconds. So uh, in the Irish tradition, of course, there can be three seconds. <laughs> yeah, depending on how many friends you've got. <laughs> uh, so this is a good place for uh, other party members to step in. And like the rules for seconds vary a lot. So you can just sort of make them up how you want. Um, traditionally they're responsible for trying to, uh, have the parties come to a resolution before the combat. That's actually kind of a little bit boring, but it can be sort of interesting and fun to have people banter back and forth. Like, you know, the second is the person who like holds the coat and like checks the pistols ahead of time and, um, you know, stands to the side while the other two are like actually like walking their paces, turning and shooting, you know? Right. So like the seconds are the ones who have to adjudicate, like they're kind of the referees. It's like consensus referees. Right. Um, And I think they're also supposed to be able to negotiate like a stand down without either party having to lose face. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's the main thing is like, you both agree that these people are going to solve this. So we don't have to shoot each other. Um, But we can both continue to be angry about it. And a third party is now responsible for us not fighting. Yeah, uh, and yeah, they'll also often like adjudicate like when the duel is going to be over, like when honor has been satisfied, right? Yeah, like, hey, hey, we decided ahead of time, like you're not actually going to kill each other. Yep, you're you know? going to blood, not to death. Yes, exactly. Um, you're also getting a situation where like you might be required to step in as a second as the duelist if the actual duelist uh, is cowardly or doesn't show up. Uh, or if, you know, for some reason they're unable to duel, like, um, the horrible injury or something like that. Yeah, the, this is um, <laughs> this is what always happens to the little brother, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, his big brother, the big brother is the second, the little brother runs away. <laughs> <laughs> How positively Shakespearean. <laughs> uh, also, sometimes the second has to step in if the original combatant is killed. 
you know, in the duel. You're like, all right, well, now I got to pick up your sword and keep doing this. So that actually can be interesting to have the other party members come in if the first person loses. Or, yeah, is losing. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, yeah, sometimes, in according to some versions of the rules, uh, you don't step in to replace them. You join them in as, like, doubles, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, you tag in. Yeah, tag so, yeah, now it's, like, now it's, like, two on two, yeah. Right. So you want to build up the approach. And this is, if you're the GM, like, set the mood, the setting, like, where are you? What does it look like? Is there an audience? Or is there definitely no audience? Um, what preparations is the opponent doing like play up the ritual and and as a player you want to do the same thing too like if you don't really know what's going on great maybe you're trying to mimic them or maybe you're sort of making fun of them Mm -hmm. this is um ostensibly an opportunity to apologize or make some amends or otherwise back down from the duel but boring yeah that's not gonna happen (laughs) let's be honest these are player characters the most reliable thing is they will not retreat right (laughs) but it's a good time for like that show of strength or skill like you know, all right, I, I chop the log in half. Uh, or, you know, like uh, I think Zoro always does the thing where he like uh, swipes at the candles, the lit candles. Oh, right. Uh, and then you notice that like he cut them, but they didn't fall over. <laughs> um, Or like, you know, in the in the true wrestling fashion, something like ripping off your shirt or uh, something of that kind of more showmanship. Yeah, and it can be an opportunity for like an intimidation check or something like that where maybe the opponent will start with some kind of penalty, right? They're not going to back down. They're still going to fight, but they're a little bit shaken. Right. Uh, It's also a great time for a bunch more insults. Like, we're already fighting to the death. So, like, I'm now going to insult your mother (laughs) and your lineage (laughs) and your monarch. like. Right. And then depending on the tradition, this might also require like actual formal accusations that are being resolved by this duel, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of more of a like a legalese type statement of like for defamation and for slander and blah, 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 blah. Like I now will duel you to the death. Yeah, you can have a lot of fun with the language here um, and whomever, right? Like this is a good chance for one of the other characters to step up. Like the bard now has the chance to like orate a bit. Mm hmm. So you're going to want to start with some sort of initiative role or some other method of determining who goes first. Some games, like if you're doing um, a gunfight, some games have a way to determine, like a more complicated way to determine who's going to go first because like it's much more important who shoots first in a game where you might kill someone with the first shot. Mm-hmm. In a game like D&D, it's, I think, much less important because it's very unlikely you'll kill someone in, in like the first round. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be here for a whole afternoon for this duel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three more damage. Right. <laughs> Do you yield? No, I've got 118 left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what does first blood even mean? First bloodied? Right. <laughs> hit points aren't meat. <laughs> yeah, you missed. No, I, I hit you. No, no, uh, you hit my luck. Right. <laughs> you dinged my morale. Uh, so once you figure out who goes first, or I mean, alternatively, like sometimes you just have both players act at the same time, or both parties act at the same time, and then who goes second? Um, you know, everybody gets a free free shot at the beginning, and then you go from there. But you'll then drop into basically your initiative order. Um, this is where the outside party members can also get involved if they need to. Um, but this this should just be a fight. Like this would be just exploring your fight mechanics for your system until you figure out 
what happens at the end. What's the resolution? Um, you should know ahead of time what actually ends the battle. I mean, you know, maybe there is a, a point at which someone steps in with some legalese and ends it early or something like that. Um, but like there should have been a pre-agreed upon reason that the fight will end. Now, often that's to the death. It doesn't have to be, though. It could be until someone yields. Like Shane said, uh, traditionally, a lot of duels, especially among the nobility, were fought to first blood. That makes more sense with a system that uses armor or damage reduction, like uh, Dark Heresy, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Like small hits with, I guess, what would be called primitive weapons often don't actually do any damage because they don't get through your toughness, right? Right. Um, So it could be like, okay, the first time someone actually takes real damage to their meat, all right, you know, we're good and we stop. Uh, probably less interesting. Yeah. Uh, in a system like D&D, like it's really easy to do quote unquote damage. So yeah, like you said, maybe you do go to bloody. Maybe it's first person to half their hit points or like a three quarters of their hit points or whatever. Yep. In fifth edition, I mean, you can always go to zero hit points because um, those death saves are very easy to make when you have a supportive crowd that will keep you from dying. Right. Uh, we also have that situation where you can uh, pull your final blow. Like if someone drops to zero in 5e and you're using a melee weapon, then um, you can just choose to have them drop to zero and not be making death saves. Right. And that's sort of a nice opportunity for like you to give the, the PC a choice. Right? Like, uh, are you going to kill them or are you going to just drop them to zero? Right. Uh, do keep in mind that yielding should be a free action and you, you should like play this out, right? Like, so whomever is about to win, like lifts their sword for the killing blow. And that's a, a cool moment. And you want, you, you want to play that up. So like, you know, as the sword is coming down, if the opponent says, you know, I yield, I yield, I yield. It, it's okay. You can sort of pause the action for a moment and like ask the player who's in mid swing, be like, do you pull, do you stop, or do you continue with the blow? Like this can all happen. You you don't want to get in a situation where you're like, oh, you were already swinging and now the guy's dead. Whoops. So let's talk about death. Are you going to make death permanent? Um, you know, like given the confines of your system, if you die, are you dead, dead? Uh, if so, you probably want to make that pretty clear to the players that, you know, this duel to the death is going to be the end of your character if you lose. Yeah, I like that. Like, it really puts a lot of emphasis on the the tradition and the ritual of it. Um, and But, you know, there better be some pretty big rewards. Like, if, if on, in our Dark Sun game, I think we've talked about, like, death is basically pretty permanent. In order for one of us to accept a like a challenge to the death, I think <clears throat> there would need to be like some really big story reason. But it can be really momentous, you know? It's also possible that, you know, you die, but in like a high magic setting, the loser gets raised from the dead, you know? And what you have suffered is, you know, you've died and you had that experience, but also you like you lose a bunch of face, you know? So you're mm-hmm. not permanently dead. I guess in some settings you might like lose a level or something like that, some systems. Right. Yep. Um, or I guess keep... in, in Dark Heresy, you're like, you, lose, you burn fate, right? And that's a yes. permanent loss of something. Exactly. And then there can be also consequences for mercy too. Right, like the social consequences of dueling tend to be heavier than the physical consequences. Um, so regardless of what choice you make, you know you might be viewed as weak for not finishing off uh, your opponent, even if they were overmatched, for example. Um, like you may you may lose honor by not completing the tradition. 
Right. Alternatively, if you do go through with it and actually kill your opponent, um, maybe you've now made a permanent enemy of that family or that guild or whatever, right? Like, right. They don't care that this was technically legal. Uh, they're now going to hunt you down and try to kill you. I mean, in proper Victorian fashion, they would hate you for not finishing it because <laughs> now you have shamed them and their son has to walk around with that shame forever. Right. You're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, which is great. Right. Uh, also, if if your character dies, maybe your new character is an avenging family member. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of like, you didn't die, you were just shamed, and you were like, no, nah, I'm retiring this PC. They're done. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> They're an affront to the entire They're... family. I'm bringing in their, their kid's sister. <laughs> They're dead to me. <laughs> All right, so what can other party members do uh, while this duel is happening? Uh, mostly you twiddle your thumbs, right? You just wait. I think that I think we can come up with something better than that. All right, fine. So you can be seconds in the battle. Uh, and if this is something that the other characters want to do, then as a GM, you kind of want to play up the role of the seconds, you know, make them more involved in general. Yeah, we're playing two on two now. Uh, three on three, four on four. I don't care. We can play party on party. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're going to fight this battle for everyone. It's going to be five on five. Uh, not, instead of 5,000 on 5,000. Right. Or I guess 5,000 on 2,000. So really, we're winning out here. Um, if they are on the sidelines, they can also cheer or jeer from uh, from the sidelines. So they could be making intimidation or persuasion, um, those type of skill checks. Mm-hmm. And it's important to, for them to know like what is allowable. Are they allowed to heal from the sidelines? Um, can they like use bardic inspiration or like things that uh, provide temporary hit points? Can they provide tactical advice? Like is kibitzing okay? And if it is okay, can it have a mechanical effect? Um, then if there's, uh, if there's cheating going on, right, you can use things like subtle spell or you can hack your opponent or, um, you can engage in sort of more mental combat like psionics or psychics. Look, it's not cheating. There's this code from 1777 didn't say anything about uh like mental hacking not being allowed okay they didn't say no drones they didn't say no psychics um and another like very harry potter thing is that instead of actually interfering with the fight you can kind of do the counterintelligence right run Mm -hmm. interference against your opponent's cheating helpers yeah i i really like that like Okay, maybe your party doesn't it doesn't have a sorcerer who has subtle spell. That's fine. Uh, it's almost guaranteed that the opponents have a sorcerer who has subtle spell. Right. So, all right, someone is making perception checks or figuring out like why is it that uh, your guy in the fight is like taking like a negative d4 on most actions. Right. All right, so we got to look for that person. Uh, we got to like sidle up to them quietly without anyone really noticing and then like stab them in the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then wreck their kidneys. <laughs> right. Oh no, he's suffering some sort of heart attack in his back. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it just reminds me of um, the Quidditch game in Harry Potter, right? Where yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Snake, Snape and Quarles are like dueling each other effectively to try and keep Harry from dying. Uh, And it's a nice skill challenge uh, for the rest of the party members to figure out who it is who's actually hindering their friend and who might actually be helping in secret. Yeah, Right. (laughs) Of course, whenever there's a a high leverage situation, there are people willing to take bets on it. And whenever there are people willing to take bets on it, there are people willing to fix it. So Mm -hmm. uh, no reason those couldn't be your party members. Yeah, I love the idea of the rogue being like, yeah, I'll do a duel. That's fine. Oh, what, what do we lose? We lose face. 
I don't care about face. Uh, just, you know, I'm going to be winning until you tell me to like not win anymore. And then, like, I'm definitely going to lose. Yeah, But I'm going to be so rich. You can't be more lowborn than I am. Right. right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'll put on a good show. I'll stab him a whole bunch. Uh, I'll play with him. This is going to be fun. Uh, you know, and let's get those odds, like, really high up, okay? Yeah. Of course, the duel is a classic cover for the real mission, whatever that might be, whether it's a heist or whether it's, um, you know, some type of skullduggery or like, you know, fast fingers kind of work in the crowd, whatever you need to draw attention away from, uh, this is the perfect time to execute it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that, I mean, you could, so you're doing this fight in initiative order, right? I like the idea that the rest of the party isn't anywhere near here. They are off somewhere else, also in initiative order, maybe fighting little combats, but maybe just like working through skill checks or sneaking in somewhere, which means that the person who's fighting the duel is well and truly actually on their own. So like if they lose this thing, well, one, the duel's over and there's no more distraction, but two, like they're on the ground bleeding out and there's no one there to help them. Right. So like it really kind of raises those stakes. And then there's pressure on the rest of the party to like hurry up and finish this before the fight ends. Yeah, but because the duel, like, you don't win it by finishing it in the first round. You win it by dragging it out as long as possible and not dying. Right? Yeah, and then you can actually have the situation where the person who's fighting the duel is trying to figure out ways to, like, you know, make it more difficult for themselves. They're like, well, can I close my eyes and give myself yeah. this advantage? But everyone will notice that. All right, what, what can I do to right. not be good at this? Uh, and then it's also possible that, like, the fight doesn't take uh, an entire session and everyone else is sort of spectating because their turn is coming. And this is actually what happened in the Morning Glory campaign. Like, uh, you you had the three-part trial and, like, all the rest of you, you know, did other things like, uh, you know, trial by ordeal uh, and things like that. Or, or, like, you know, throwing legalese in an actual courtroom. And then Bastion was the one who had to do a relatively quick fight. And, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of you had a lot of interesting things to do the rest of the session so you just sort of sat back and watched for you know 15 minutes or so all right so consequences for the battle uh you could lose but the game shouldn't grind to a halt if the party actually loses right like you still need to be able to move that plot forward so maybe it turns out that like a pc actually dying was enough of a show of bravery that the party is going to get what it wants anyway i mean (laughs) you have a person who's dead but like the story moves forward yeah, the, that's I think another kind of traditional trope of duels is that like the the winner then grants some sort of favor to the loser uh, as a show of good faith, right? Um, or the flip side is that a third party could have their attention drawn, and as a result of losing that duel, now think that you might be the right people to, um, you know, back or support or whatever to give them whatever the party was looking for yeah you seem like just the kind of people we were looking for actually yeah exactly you were raging against the machine we also rage against the machine (laughs) (laughs) maybe next time we can win together right (laughs) if you win there should be some sort of like big celebration something good or fun happens as a reward not just for the character but for the player for like actually succeeding at this yep renown is also a, a good reward for a duel so um whether that person was from a you know notable family or has a notable skill set or was a champion or whatever it is, right? Um, having won a duel should have some sort of social cachet, and renown is a good way of representing that. Yeah. 
So we talked mostly about traditional dueling, but there are a ton of different variations you can do for this. Uh, we talked about arena combat in episode 83. Those can definitely be like one-on-one battles, and they can take place in really interesting environments that can also change based on the crowd. And then you have these opportunities to sort of like work up the crowd and get them on your side. Right. Um, there's also the trial by combat, which is just like a duel, except it substitutes as a trial. Uh, it is now your judicial system. So... Your opponent is just the representative of the state who is there to decide whether or not you are uh, guilty or innocent based on how well you can avoid his acts. Yeah, like God is looking down on us and and will decide this based on who's still alive at the end of it. Right. And so the tone of that is just less personal, right? It's just matter of fact. Yeah, which is sort of a, a nice or interesting thing that you can role play as the, the person who's not like foaming at the mouth trying to kill you, who's just like, I'm just doing my job. Like, uh, I hope we wrap this up by five. Right. Uh, could you just die already? Uh, it, and it's a good opportunity for you to sort of give your party a choice. Like, you can say, all right, this can go to trial and you guys can role play a trial and try to do all the legalese stuff. Or it can be a battle. And, ma- right. you know, maybe you have a brute squad on your hands and all they want to do is just like wreck some face. Uh, you can do a magic duel. Uh, this is a good chance to let your spellcasters shine. Um, those usually start out with a few rounds of just like the wizards buffing themselves because they don't usually like run at each other with daggers. Uh, right. But but tactically, this can be a really good opportunity for your your wizard player to just actually blitz to be like, no, f- forget this. Like, I actually have a strength of fourteen, which is super strong for a wizard. I'm gonna <laughs> right. beat you with my staff. Melee spell attack. <laughs> Um, another cool thing to wrap around the the purpose of the duel is something like a ritual succession. Um, Black Panther did this super well. Um, that's how you become the Black Panther as you challenge for it and win. I also like the idea of like you challenge the captain and now you become the uh, the head of a pirate crew or a rogue trader crew. Hmm. Yeah, this is an opportunity that has a really strong story consequences uh, and it's a great way to sort of shove... Uh, your party or players into roles that they don't necessarily they didn't necessarily earn right like you you're not born into the right family or you didn't like work your way up the bureaucracy but like you win one battle and like here you go and now you have a ton of responsibilities yeah i i like the idea that the the skill set required to win the fight is not necessarily the skill set required to carry out the duty that you have earned oh absolutely yeah so good luck (laughs) All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's me winning a fight against my opponent, but losing against mounds of paperwork that come afterward. Well, if you're buried in paperwork, then we should fish out a new character sheet and move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Cobalt Press. 12 Peculiar Towers is a collection of 5th edition adventures for characters levels 1 to 13 with the theme of, yeah, you guessed it, towers. Hey, Shane, I think there are towers in Eberron, one or two of them. Uh-huh, I heard there's a whole city of them. Oh, dear lord. Well, you can discover the mysteries that lie within... The forest lair of a Ravenfolk bandit gang. How about a magical archive of ancient elven lore? There we go again with ancient elven lore. Why don't elves ever develop new lore? Uh, because they are boring and long-lived. 
Yes, I agree with you. Uh, you can check out the hideout of a powerful thieves guild master or the stronghold of a sinister blood mage. That's only count them four examples. I believe that means there are eight other distinctive dungeons in the book. So each of those towers comes with a beautiful illustrated map, including many isometric maps, and of course, traps, hazards, and enemies to challenge your players. So you can pick up 12 peculiar towers in print or PDF today at www.cobaltpress.com. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are talking about the second. As we talked about earlier, they've got lots of different responsibilities, lots of different things that they've got to do. Maybe they got to fight. Maybe they got to banter. Maybe they got to negotiate to make sure that uh, their party member doesn't get stabbed in the neck now that they're bleeding out on the ground. Okay, but first, what's the build for the second? It is Mastermind Rogue 6, Shadow Sorcerer 8, Lorebard 6. This guy feels like he cheats a lot. Uh, yes, but here's the thing, he doesn't get caught. Okay, so from Mastermind Rogue, we'll get four expertise. Which is great for, you know, that initial, like, persuasion or diplomacy or, like, legalese check where you can be mm-hmm. like, uh, okay, are you sure you don't want to back down? No? All right, that's that's fine. Let's just make sure that these terms are amenable to us. Uh, you'll, of course, get cutting action, sneak attack, and uncanny dodge for some rogue tankiness and damage. But the thing that we're really here for is that at Mastermind Level 3, you can use the help action as a bonus action from 30 feet away, which basically means you're standing on the sidelines. Okay, you can't interfere. That's fine. You can shout tactical advice and give them uh, advantage on attack rolls or uh, skill checks. Parry, slip, dodge, repost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> duck, dive, duck. <laughs> dodge and dodge. <laughs> Dip, duck, dive. I give up. All right, from Sorcerer, we get fourth level spells, and I think the most interesting ones are probably Charm Person and Hold Person. Uh, Those feel, feel like pretty obvious cheating, though. <laughs> except that, as a Sorcerer, you get meta magic, one of which should be Subtle Spell. Oh, he suddenly, he suddenly was held in place <laughs> and got run through with a rapier. Who did Can't that? imagine what happened. Where did that come from? What's going on? <laughs> Is it a congenital defect? <laughs> it, it wasn't me. Uh, the other great spell here is Find Familiar, because remember that what familiars can do is allow you to cast a touch spell through your familiar, and your familiar can take the shape of, oh, I don't know, a tiny spider that maybe like sits in the pocket of uh, the person who's actually fighting the duel, and now you can cast all those touch spells as if you were right there, and you can cast them subtly. And then because we're Shadow Sorcerer, we'll get the Strength of the Grave ability. Uh, yeah, it basically means if you have been swapped in and now you have to fight this duel, you're not going to get one-shotted. You make a, I believe it's a charisma check to not die when you drop to zero, you instead drop to one. Right. So you get that one freebie, and you get that at first level, it's nice. Yeah, when you're a second, it's easy to yield. Yeah. <laughs> From Bard, we get two more expertises. Uh, and you'll get third-level spells. The Probably the important ones here are Cure Wounds and Enhance Ability, both of which I believe are touch spells which you can cast through your familiar. You'll get uh, probably five Bardic Inspirations that you can throw out. And again, that's just verbal, right? So you are not helping in any way. You're simply uh, yelling encouragement from the sidelines. And you'll get Cutting Words, which is amazing because it also means that you can... Your jeers actually have like a mechanical effect on right. uh, your, the opponent's. And then with your magical secrets, you'll probably want to take a look at Warding Bond. 
Yeah, it's a cleric spell that uh, you cast, and it's only an action, so you actually could cast it afterward if there's a, a dispel magic. Uh, you, the target gets resistance to all damage, and then you take the same damage that they take. So basically, right. you, you two split the damage. Split and the then damage. they also get a bonus to, I think, AC and saving throws. Gotcha. Uh, it's a nice way to like make the person extremely tanky because you're just doing them yourself. And even if your familiar's not sitting on them, you could cure wounds yourself. I mean, I'm just in the stands... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm very sickly. I occasionally bleed internally for no reason. <laughs> yeah, nothing to see here. Right. I'm, I'm just healing myself. I'm a physician. <laughs> I, I'm a portrait of Dorian Gray over here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So in terms of leveling order, where do we go? Um, I think I like the idea of actually starting sorcerer because uh, you can start right off with those subtle spells and familiars and sort of help right off the bat. So I think probably sorcerer five to get third level spells. Then I'd say take um, your rogue, your bard, and then finish out sorcerer. Cool. That works for me. So Shane, who is your second? So my second is um, actually just a bodyguard. Just a, a sell sword for hire, um, but in a world where um, the biggest threats aren't necessarily physical, it's important to have an accomplished spellcaster with things like counterspell at, at their disposal in order to make sure that you are safe at all times, uh, not least of which if you have a big mouth. How about your second? My second is a noble uh, who has been schooled in these types of affairs Um and so, yeah, they're very good at, at standing uh, with one of their school chums who's uh, gotten themselves into a big mess. You know, she knows how to handle all this stuff. Um, but her actual skill set comes from being able to use the vast majority of her abilities while sitting at a dinner party or, you know, uh, in court in front of uh, plenty of guards and a monarch, being able to, like, weave magic, cast charm spells, um, being able to assist fellow party members or advisors or members of her parents retinue who are trying to negotiate trade deals not even from the shadows just out in plain sight standing right here um working all of her wonders and no one is the wiser nice so before we wrap up we want to take a moment to thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill and what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're continuing our series on playing character races, and we're talking about shifters. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Lunatic. I heard he's in my head. Ooh. Well, that's it for episode 178 of Total Party Throw. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Genuine Fantasy Press. They are giving away a free version of the new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets, Awakening, at GenuineFantasyPress.com. This book is for 5th edition D&D, and it includes over 125 pages of player content. It's got 34 new subclasses, 17 new warlock patrons and familiars, 175 new spells and invocations, 10 new races, and dozens of campaign hooks. Uh, all in all, the Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening includes 190 pages of new content for both players and DMs. You know, you could use a lot of this uh, content in conjunction with 12 peculiar towers, couldn't you? Oh, I bet you could.
So, the Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening is designed to work with both classic and homebrew settings, and it will give you new ideas for your world and game. It's got beautiful full-color artwork and is available internationally in hardcover on Amazon. It also makes a great holiday gift. That is The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening from Genuine Fantasy Press. Inspiring adventure.